stellar newscast. I'm Whitney Fishburne in Washington with my colleague, co-host, and fellow astrologer, Elizabeth Grace in New York. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Whitney. We are both renegades from corporate media who report and analyze the cosmic impulses behind the news. And we not only want to show you how the media manipulates you into working against your best interests, we want to help you anticipate the cycles and trends in the world so you can see and believe, if you choose, that the world is not a random, chaotic, scary place but part of an ensouled universe where cycles within cycles point to there being a greater consciousness and a larger intelligence that is way more awesome than we could ever hope to be, even if we are pretty darn amazing. We want to encourage you to participate in the enfoldment of what the universe has in store, not feel as though it's coming at you. Well, that's who we are. So before I get carried away with thoughts about last episode's editorial, where I said uh, some stuff about how I believe in astrology and whether it's possible for a person to believe in astrology, something that Elizabeth said, we should talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I am going to actually hand it off to you and ask you to just talk about the recent planetary transits. What is what we can expect to come in the next week or so? So what have you got for us, Elizabeth? Okay, so uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, March 29th, and yesterday uh, on the 28th was the day after the Oscars, and the moon was in a condition which we call void, of course, for the entire day, without making contact with any of the other planets as we see them as astrologers, when we're looking at this on paper, you can have during these void periods, a lack of focus or something which seems trivial on the surface can run away with the whole day. So okay, it was, so, so, yeah. So but, but I just think it's so important that people really get what you're saying. When we say that we're looking at it on paper, it just, it means that, if we were to draw angles, geometric angles between the moon and the other planets in the solar system, we wouldn't find any that um, that are useful to us. I mean, you can, you can make all kinds of angles based on any number of degrees, but there are specific ones that we use. So at, in the astrologer's toolkit, if we were to draw angles between the moon and the planets that are within the um, seven main planets up to Saturn, there wasn't anything. It's not like we were actually looking for the moon to go up and kiss Saturn on the face or something like that. It's just- Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so so that's what we're saying is is that the moon wasn't making any um, aspects, any geometric angles that we look to, which are, um, what they're normally a, a, a conjunction, which is a zero degree aspect. So they're right next to each other or a 60 degree or a 90 degree or a 180 degree or 120 degree. And then, then a 180 right. degree. Yeah. So or, or, none of can, that was happening. Yeah. But we, you can, Whitney, you can also think of them as just, just the idea of making contact. I mean, right. people, so people that's, they, they know people get the word contact maybe more so than aspect, even though, but if you, but for those who want to be technically correct, um, it is, it is aspect, but we're, we think of it as just, just being in touch. So we had this isolated energy yesterday with this, this moon, uh, you know, the, which is dry in the way in astrology, what the moon is doing, the condition of the moon is we use it as our guideline for the energy of the day. 
what's driving the day. So we had this unfocused, wildly uh, kind of running away with the whole thing. Everybody was talking about the aftermath of the Oscars as there was another pattern happening. Oh, wait, but did you say where the moon was, what sign it was in? Aquarius. Okay, yeah. It was in Aquarius. So Aquarius is all about social significance and networking and being humanitarian and what is, you know, what people's uniqueness. Uh, it's kind of an intellectual energy. It's looking to innovate. Um, the other pattern that was exact on Monday, March 28th, and also driving the energy of the past several days also made manifest at the Oscars that everybody's still talking about was a conjunction, a meetup of the planet Venus, who, how, what we need to love, your social expression, women, money, values, and Saturn, which is about limits, boundaries. It can be harsh. It can be mean. It can be cutting. It can be yeah. structuring. Yeah. So Venus and Saturn together, we think of women who may be all business, social expression that cuts. So how does this all tie up with the Oscars? Well, with the Oscars, we had Chris Rock. He made a snide, stupid joke about Jada Pinkett Smith's, interestingly enough, an aspect of her of her appearance, which is Venus and, mm -hmm. the, and oddly enough, Saturn, which also Pretty rules cool. hair. OK, so oh, yeah, we, but also, we're, looking, we're looking at these patterns all over. the. OK, so we have this. It's his job <laughs> to to say something that pokes people. And he makes a joke. And Will Smith on camera appears to think it's very funny. I know. That's the crazy part. He was laughing. He was laughing. He's going along with it like, OK, fine. And he looks over at Jada Pinkett Smith and she is not happy. She is not in a, in a laughing mood. Venus Saturn together is not known for its sense of humor. Will Smith gets out of his chair and uh, Will Smith slaps him across the face in the slap heard around the world <laughs> and um, setting some boundaries, a very harsh social expression here. Um, mm -hmm. And that is definitely Saturn. Definitely, definitely SmackDown time. And also a little bit of Mars. You know, before you go into the shot, that was, I think, the last minutes, if I think about it, I'm not looking at, um, not actually, since I am in the coat closet, I can't actually see any charts. But <laughs> I have you found the passage to Narnia. That's what I want to know. <laughs> oh. Is there a wardrobe in there? Because I want whether to no. be a wardrobe. Okay. I am in search of the silver chair. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say, though, that and I think in that moment, you could probably validate this on the chart since you are in front of one, um, that Venus was enclosed. She was enclosed between Mars and Saturn at that point. Besieged. So it was yes. besieged. Yeah, there was this moment yeah. of besiegement where, you know, it was like, well, what do I do in pursuit of my values? What kind of malefic behavior do I turn to or what kind of limiting, cutting behavior? And for whatever reason, which I think you're going to tell us. Will got lit up in that moment of besiegement. Yes, the, the, the being besieged, which is, this is another interesting way in which astrology, the planetary patterns, literally find themselves into the words of the headlines. Mm -hmm. So on March 6th, Venus, 
is traveling between Mars and Saturn, between a rock and a hard place, that kind of squeeze. And the Mm -hmm. technical term is besieged because there's Mm -hmm. just no way out. You can't go forward. You can't go backward. You're stuck. And it only is between, we want to say besieged when it's a malefic environment. So where it's a a difficult or painful, the rock and the hard place. Yes, it's a rock and a hard place, like between Scylla and Charybdis, going mm-hmm. through the Straits of Ulysses, trying to get through and navigate these very dangerous waters, and you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Over the last few weeks, since March 6th, how often the word besieged and siege has been used to describe what's going on That's in great. Ukraine. Wow. I ha- that's true. Actually, now that you say that, I can think about that and think of several that have come across, you know, we still get the paper delivered to our front door. We're that mm-hmm. old, <laughs> but yeah, mm-hmm. when I look at above the fold headlines and I think about it, that's true. I've seen that word a lot lately. Yeah. And now that Venus as of yesterday has come out of that situation, the reflection of that heavy gravitas setting of boundaries, accountability, serious, ser- serious social expression, the, the situation in the Ukraine has shifted and maybe it won't be so besieged anymore. We'll see if that mm-hmm. word drops off the radar going forward. But anyway, getting back to the Oscars, that the planetary pattern of this heavy, controlled social expression that may seem harsh. Is that your, did your cat just jump on that? <laughs> yes, the cat. Yes, we have our uh, uh, we have our executive producer uh, today, uh, Pepper the cat, who is decided that this is the perfect time to come and play with all the things on my desk. Um, anyway, so this Venus Saturn conjunction was making contact with a very personal planet in Will Smith's horoscope. And when we say personal, we mean what? We mean, when we mean personal, we mean like it's the sun or the moon or Mercury or Venus, not one of the outer planets that influences things on a generational level. But so his moon in the moon in the horoscope, the moon drives the persona, you know, it drives Mm -hmm. the energy of the day. It drives the reigning need of a person. Will Smith's moon is in Scorpio which is needs to be seen as depth, someone of substance and control and power. And the Saturn and Venus is making a challenging contact to, you know, his reigning need, the need, the need to be, the persona. How he needs to be thought of and seen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, he has a Gemini, Gemini ascendant and he's a, a Libra sun conjunct Uranus. So he needs to be independent and quite the maverick. The other thing that was going on in his horoscope, I mean, there was a whole bunch of things going on in the horoscope, but that, but that Venus Saturn, that harshness of expression, we see in his horoscope that he's triggered by it. He has Mercury, which is how people need to think and communicate, and Venus, who, how, what we need to love, together at the very end of Libra, which is a people-pleasing you know, the need to be diplomatic and fair, you know, what happens and, and is generally, this is the fascinating thing, is generally conflict avoidant. Yeah, usually. Unless usually, Mars gets in there. Unless, right, unless something, a trigger comes along. And so does Will Smith have a trigger happening that would amplify his social expression? So he might be more provocative than usual? Yes. 
Well, I mean, let's go back to the fact that you say that it's at the end of the degree. I don't remember looking at his horoscope, but you just said it was in the 29th degree, which that's a um, an astrological flag that something will be crazy at that degree. <laughs> something will be frenetic. It'll be either too much of something or too little of something or just not balanced. So he's in a sign of balance in an unbalanced way. Yeah, Whitney, exactly. I would say the 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 very last degree, and in Will's case, it's one is 28, one is 29 out of a possible 30. Okay, so, but it really, a 29 really is the end of the sign. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's the energy, the need of that planet. We're translating astrology symbols into needs at a crisis point. And so what he had, what he has now, and he has this all year, one pattern is transiting Pluto, which represents breakdown, extremes, power play, transformation in a hard, meaning a challenging contact to his idealistic need to think and express himself in all fairness. Maybe you can talk to why the Academy allowed him to, and the producers of the um awards show to just let him go up on stage and ramble forever after he just didn't been announced as the winner of um, best actor. And isn't it interesting that the name of the picture that he got his Oscar for is (laughs) King Richard. That was a very Plutonian Venus meets Saturn in Libra, a Venus ruled sign speech, because it was just crazy. It was all over the place. And it all of the imagery, it was a very imagery filled speech that also sounded to me desperate. And I'm actually not judging him by saying these things. What I'm saying is, is just the moment was bizarre. And that after the circumstances that had just unfolded, he was given the stage to say whatever he wanted to say. And he never apologized to the person he just assaulted, but he did keep saying about how he wanted to be seen a certain way and seen as a bringer of peace. The, and the expansion and maybe the indulgence he received um, his Jupiter is at 20 degrees of Virgo. So it's being opposed by transiting Jupiter right now. Jupiter expands whatever it touches. His Jupiter is in the fifth house of creative expression and ego recognition. So the King Richard part, are you saying that it was, e- it's just be specific about what you're saying? It's very interesting that this happened at this particular time in American history, that we actually had somebody on live television, go up and do something that the laws of our land would argue, uh, would might consider this is a criminal offense. The laws of our land, the controls of our, of our country say, if you go up and hit somebody like that, this, you could be arrested, you could be restricted, you could be controlled, you could be contained. And yet he's playing this role of this king, right? And we have a lot of themes in the news right now. We have a Supreme Court justice nominee, who Katanji Brown Jackson, who notably said in one of her opinions that the president is not a king. No one is above the law. And we also had text messages were published where Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny, had multiple text exchanges with Mark Meadows, who, who was the was former, um, the former chief, guy's chief of staff. Chief of staff. 
<laughs> former guy. <laughs> the former guy. Well, that was Joe Biden. That's what he said. So it's kind of stuck. Um, the, the, the former guy's chief of staff talking about, you know, how talking about the, the need from her perspective to invalidate the election. So my point is that it's fascinating to me. There's a there's theme, a theme. And, and then, of course, we have Vladimir Putin, who has invaded a, a sovereign nation and is committing mass murder left and right. You know, we are, are watching these authority figures and people of status. And it's like, did we just see what we saw? When is somebody going to be held accountable for, for what we are told in our laws are obvious transgressions? Mm hmm. It's challenging to talk about politics. We are in a very polarized society right now. We have media outlets that are not helping because one media channel is telling you the sky is blue and the other media channel is telling you that the sky is green with yellow polka dots. And that's what we're here to counteract, actually, is, yes. is that you know, their job is to get you to buy into a particular narrative and then to choose sides and then to identify with certain characters and so forth. And that doesn't matter what your particular per political persuasion is. That's the model. So we'll put that aside. And I think it's really interesting what you're talking about here, Elizabeth, which is, is that there are themes and the transits point to it. The, the celestial patterns point to these themes. And as Americans, we would do well to think about our own reaction to these themes and think about what we might choose to do about these themes. And I, I, that's what I'm intrigued by where you're going with this. Well, this whole, so we, yeah, thank you, Whitney. So, so here we have this public beloved celebrity star person, accomplished person, you know, in a movie <laughs> gets an award for playing, you know, the greatest Muhammad Ali. Wait, Muhammad and, Ali. And, and just like, can I point out and for playing the father to Venus? <laughs> <laughs> father to Venus and Serena. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is a guy who's got, you know, like, he's a literal. <laughs> and, and his first TV show is, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. So there's there's themes of royalty here and and being above the law, but he's not a politician. So we can't get polarized over, you know, whether you're voting for Republicans or Libertarians or Democrats or whatever. This is a person that has committed this clear, according to our laws, transgression. Where is the accountability? The audience applauded him when he when he got his award. You go, well, I mean, could he be held accountable? And if he's not held accountable, how can we expect anybody else to be held accountable? Right. For these for these these pushing of boundaries. I want to bring up that um, Aries point. I know um <laughs> favorite target of yours every time it's an Aries point moment is Ted Cruz. And oh, totally. Yeah. And, but I, I want you to do the um, talking about him, but I, I do find this idea of not being held accountable. I want to know if you see his particular Aries point moment as also being an example of a guy who is not being held accountable. The Aries point corresponds to the first day of any season. Right. So I Aries, Cancer, Libra, Capricorn, and they are called cardinal. These are called cardinal signs. Because in Latin, cardinale means turning point. So a season is something upon which turns. It's a new, he's like, you turn the page, we're going to go do another, another story here. With Ted Cruz, his son is at zero degrees of Capricorn, all of his energy to uh, climb to the top of the mountain. And his Pluto power perspective is in the third house. So it's his mind. It rules the fifth house, which is his self-expression and his ego expression. It is also at the Aries point. 
Wait, who, why is it rule? Wait, so he has Scorpio fifth. Is that what you're saying? Scorpio's on the fifth house in Placidus houses. He has a Leo <clears throat> ascendant. Apparently what, the way we know this is because Ted Cruz, apparently what he did is he was making some, I was on a rant about, you know, I don't know, birth certificates or so, something. At, and he was, he actually held a copy of his long form birth certificate up in front of the television camera and some astrologer was like oh cool the two things about that okay three one total weirds mobile two that was just i'm sure because he didn't want um the former guy as you call him to um start birthing him doing the birther routine to him because because his parents are canadian or his dad or whatever so i'm sure that was proactive and third i just want to also tell people that um in elizabeth's world of astrology her language includes scorpio um pluto as the ruler of scorpio and therefore the ruler of his fifth house from my traditional astrology background I would see that as incidental information, but I wouldn't use it as the primary interpretation of who's ruling his fifth house. So I would say that Mars is ruling his first house. And his I think fifth. that guy has a, his fifth. Sorry, what did I yeah. say first? I meant fifth. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But uh, thank you for correcting me, Elizabeth. I do think though, that that guy definitely has some uh, sideways Mars action. There you go. <laughs> well, his Mars is in Scorpio. Really? So it really is, and, and, and Mars does oppose Saturn as does his Venus. So actually, this is an interesting chart to talk about because um, we've had Venus and next week we will have Mars conjoining, meeting up with Saturn, the planet of structure and realism and boundaries. And Ted Cruz is actually an interesting example because he has these two planets, Venus and Mars, in opposition to Saturn. So there's still contact. There's a tense contact um, but, but he ha he can have that. I mean, in terms of action, Mars is extremely well-placed in Scorpio. It's highly effective. It can be quite ruthless. Mm -hmm. uh, his Venus is in Scorpio, which is not so well-placed mm -hmm. it's in, it's in fall. So his social expression, you know, and his values, perhaps he values you know, Venus and Scorpio would value honor and loyalty uh, but in Scorpio, you might wonder if it was honor and loyalty among thieves. Did you just say that I am an, I am um, in league with a den of thieves if I have Venus in Scorpio? No, but you no. could call one of us or you could contact <laughs> one of us as an astrologer and ask us to read your chart and maybe we'll tell you that, but maybe not. So no, we're not, yeah, we're not saying that Venus in Scorpio is, is always honor among, but they do have this thing about, uh, about honor. And yeah. loyalty, you know, they are, they, they make commitments and, and that's, that's nice thing to have in a friend. Um, you know, the, the wigginess that you're seeing or the, the, the craziness that you're seeing in Ted Cruz's horoscope, um, he does have the planet Uranus, uh, the planet, which is a disruptor at the root of his chart. It's, it's on the, uh, it's, it opposes the midheaven. It's on the IC, the found, you know, the root of the horoscope. And so yeah, the IC he, is Latin for imum coele, the depth. So basically at midnight when he was born, Uranus, you're, you say, you say Uranus, I say Uranus. Right. Uh, Uranus was, yeah. <laughs> it was at the bottom of his chart. If you're looking at it from a geocentric perspective, but anyway, so let's wrap this up. So I brought Ted Cruz up because I know that he um, always makes news when we're when talking you, about transits at the Aries point. When any, any planet, yeah. you can set your clock by yeah. it. Anytime, any he planet show up is, in the news. Is, he is going to make news. 
So what was his most recent appearance in the news? And, and why do you also think looking forward, he's going to be interesting? Okay, well, he made news. He made news at the Judge Brown Jackson hearings. He was captured by a photojournalist scanning Twitter in the hearing room of the Senate Judiciary Committee, looking for his own name to see if he'd made an impact. And then when the sun entered Aries, he was captured on camera again in an airport in Bozeman, Montana, and they had to call security because what? he was in one of those, don't you know who I am? Why am I having to deal with the inconvenience of air travel? I need to get somewhere. Um, we couldn't, there was no sound on the tape, but he was making enough of a, of a fuss that they actually called the airport security to, you know, speak to him and get him, you know, contained. So, so that's where I wanted to go with this. And the other that, thing, the very important that he's, thing that's putting himself above the rest of the people like a king. Like a king. And the other thing that happened is there was an article in the Washington Post, I think it was yesterday or Sunday, where they were talking about his involvement in the attempted coup. Let's look at this then in terms of the crises that America as a nation with a chart is experiencing in um, context that we've discussed before here being that we are having a Pluto return um, and we are seeing these patterns now across our industries, across our shared um, places of of coming together, which, you know, not everybody cares about the Oscars, but, you know, in in venues, in scenarios where there is a lot of cross demographic participation, we're seeing these themes of um, I am above the rest of you. I am more important than you. I am, um, I am royal. I don't have to do what the rest of you have to do. I am untouchable. I am special. So if we put this back at the time of the Pluto return, when the founding documents of this nation were being signed, were being created, were being formed as a reaction to a king then it starts to make more sense. It, mar it starts to actually draw in, well, we're now returning to the birth of our national narrative, of our country's narrative. And does the narrative still apply? Is this a necessary inflection point where we become what we broke away from so that we can break away again and become something else? I mean, these are kind of philosophical questions, but they're irrefutably happening. Things are happening where the same themes that were involved in our country's founding are now right in our faces again. And how are we going to respond to these kinds of, well, I'm above the rest of you? What's helpful to keep in mind, as we explained in the first episode, the first podcast that we did, episode one, the U.S. Pluto return, we've never had a U.S. Pluto return because it takes 248 years, roughly, for Pluto to travel all the way around a horoscope. But Pluto does make challenging contacts along the way. And so if you go back to episode one of our podcast, we talk about the times in American history. One of them was around 1850. Another one was around the mid thirties where, and another one, what was the other one? 1980s. 1980s, where America was wrestling with these issues of power and who will control the resources. And in the aftermath 
of each hard aspect of transiting Pluto to the US natal Pluto, the United States moved in the opposite direction. It changed course. So in the mid thirties, we started moving towards a more equitable distribution of power and resources. And then in the eighties, we started moving in a direction of greater consolidation of wealth and power in the hands of the few versus the many. So here we are again, now at the last gasp of, of this you know, battle against the dinosaurs. I say dinosaurs because Pluto is in Capricorn, which is an earth sign. And it also ties to fossil fuels, which come from the earth. And so we're really looking at how are we going to literally empower ourselves with what fuel? Well, what I think about is how right now we have Pluto and Capricorn, which is, as you've pointed out, you know, the earth, the earth, Capricorn is an earth sign. And this is an established language that we're referring to. We're not just making this up and it is not arbitrary. There is a real exquisite thousands of year old way of attributing the, um, the the rulerships and the meanings to the signs and the planets. So it's not, it's, it's really not random. So Pluto is in Capricorn an earth sign and also bones fossils are part of the rulership of Saturn in uh, as the, as the Lord of Capricorn. So I wonder as Pluto is stirring up the last of its ghosts at the end of Capricorn and as we release our reliance on the bones of the past and oil and so forth, if the, the questions will change and, and the way that we approach what you just said about our power, what fuels us, will look so different when Pluto moves into Aquarius, which is still a Saturn-ruled sign. But as you stated at the beginning of this podcast episode, Elizabeth, Aquarius is the sign of innovation and of uniqueness, but a uniqueness that then can contribute to the whole and also um, new structure. So Saturn still wants structure, but Saturn in Aquarius says, I want new structure. And so Pluto coming into the sign of um, humanitarian uh, cooperation but being that disruptor, being that one that brings things from the, the hell of hells, you know, I just have to wonder then do we, do we embody and make peace with our ghosts, you know, and that goes, brings me back to that idea of we fought the king and now we are, we have a, a, a pathology of wanting to be king. So how do we break through the ghost of the need to be king? And I, I don't have an answer to that, but that, that is the kind of way that I'm framing the future is how do we walk through one version of Saturn and the need for structure and create a different version of structure that is integrated and matured through passing through the ghost of what has been. Does that make any sense? It does. It's incredibly deep. Pluto will dip its toe into Aquarius on March 23rd, 2023. We'll get a taste of this power to the people, potentially breaking down networks and technology and also empowering them. And it's been, it'll drop, then Pluto will dip back into Capricorn because planets appear to move backwards in the sky from our point of view on planet Earth. 
Pluto will dip into Aquarius in 2023 and then go back into Capricorn at the very end of that sign where the battle of those who want to hang on to this earth-based power. That is, that is why I'm hopeful, Elizabeth, because yeah. sometimes, you know, sometimes I get the texts or the emails from you like, ah, these, these people, and I won't say what you say, but, <laughs> and I just, I, I laugh and I agree. And I, I see some really just astoundingly atrocious, outrageous behavior, but I always fall back on, but I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And, and I know that I'm participating in in ushering in and mediating those energies. And what's coming is an opportunity for something new, something yes. we've never seen before. Something more evolved, mm-hmm. something more advanced in our, something greater than we have now. And I want to say one thing about, cause I told my readers that we were going to talk a little bit about the Supreme court. What I wanted to say is that uh, justice Thomas's horoscope in ways that are similar to what was noted in Anthony Kennedy's horoscope in terms of a potential change, a disruption of status. We see that in Justice Thomas's horoscope in April, tying into the Supreme Court because America's Pluto is very interesting to me. How many Supreme Court justices have planets or points in their personal horoscopes or what we know about their horoscopes that are tied to the US Pluto and the US Mercury, how the nation needs to think and its power. And so the fact that we're going through this this catharsis or breakdown, potential transformation of power in our nation's highest court seems very much tied Mm. to the US Pluto return as well. Yeah, definitely. Let's move on to um, whether or not um, it's, a fair statement to say someone believes in astrology because I, I wrote that in my editorial last week or l- with the last episode, and um, you know I, I was basically defending why, as a critical thinker and as an analytical person and someone who's actually made her living by analyzing systems and data and and science, um, I still don't have any qualms about saying that astrology makes perfect sense to me. I think it's fair you could say I fell into the consensus trap of referring to my belief in astrology. But then when you you said to me um, after the fact, hey, you know, I don't believe in astrology. And I said, well, what do you mean? You said, well, astrology is a tool. And I thought about it. I was thinking, yeah, I guess me saying that I believe in astrology is akin to saying, well, I believe in French. I believe in Spanish. I believe in peanut butter. Yeah, well, (laughs) well, I don't know. Is astrology like peanut butter? If Okay, I don't know about that. (laughs) Because, yeah, say what you were going to say. I just think it's helpful to think of it as, and and, I know I have to credit my mentor, Noel Till, because these are his words. You know, people would say, you know, why do you believe in astrology? Because, and the reason they're saying that is because they're trying to get you to say that astrology is a religion and, you know, it's taking the place of whatever faith based thing that you have. And that is why it is the devil's work or whatever. Okay. There is, there is, there are people who will say that. And it's like, no, I I don't believe there's anything up on Pluto making me do anything. Uh, It's not something to believe in. It is, and I'm quoting Noel here. It is a good thing to know about, to use it as a guide, a reference point as you might use your watch as a guide as you travel through time or a map 
or your DNA if you're trying to figure out your health profile or whatever. It's just, I think it is a, it's just a smarter way to think of astrology because that also allows you to have a greater belief in free will, which I know is a source of contention among certain astrologers these days. Well, that's actually, yeah, that's where this funnels down to is, is that you're, you're in your mind, I suppose, or in Noelle's mind, the refutation was against, um, religion, right? So people who were concerned about how astrology might run afoul of religion. It's blasphemy, you know, you yeah, have yeah, to I don't you, and it's like, care oh, about it's that. Religion. That's, but that's not my concern. My concern is the scientism because I come from a world of scientists and I am surrounded. I'm in Washington, you're in New York and you know, you're around the people who care most about money. I'm in the place where people care most about data. For me, astrology has never been a question of um, contravening a particular dogma or faith. But um, but then again, you know, I, I really do believe that science has kind of come that way because anything can be taken into uh, to an extreme. I think because we're humans, anything that becomes our belief system has to be transcended. It, it has to take us to a certain point on the human continuum, but then we have to be the one who says, now I'm going to think for myself. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's science and data, whether it's religion, it's any kind of construct that carries you so far in, in terms of how you fit into the world around you, how you can make sense out of things that you don't understand. But at a certain point, you do have to have faith in something. And, and you know, that is up to you. You can have faith in whatever you want to have faith in. For me, though, and to your point, astrology actually helps me choose um, a way to have faith in, in what I'm going to choose to have faith in because it helps me to speak a language and um, decode patterns. What I have faith in is an ensouled, connected, integrated, holographic universe. And, mm-hmm. and that is where I put my faith. That is mm-hmm. what I actually believe in. And as far as fate is concerned, yeah, that's a conversation we probably ought to take up in another episode. But yeah, I do believe, though, that, you know, there are certain things that are faded and I cannot change them. And there are certain things that I have free will over and I don't really always know which is which. So the way that I navigate all of that is to at least see what patterns are coming, use my astrology to say, well, this would make sense within the pattern. And this gives me an opportunity to at least engage with the energies and I'll do the best I can to choose how I want it to go. And if that turns out to be the way it ends up, then I was participating. I made a choice. I acted with free will and this was the outcome. If it doesn't turn out that way, then it is easier for me to say, well, okay, I learned something and it is the way it is. I'm not going to beat myself up for it. This must have some kind of fated consequence that I may understand in the future, but it does get me to engage with my life in a way that I do think means that maybe I'm even um, mitigating faded consequences and I'm not even aware of it because I don't have to know everything, but it does make me a very active player in my world and in my life. And, and I'm in dialogue all the time. And that's how astrology actually is um, helpful to me. It's not my belief system. It's my bag of tools. Some of my most cherished clients, I, I just, it just, uh, I adore them. They are atheists. The few that I've worked with find value in astrology. Which is it's sort of like this system that suggests that there's some higher 
order to this random chaos we see on earth that actually there is a sense about it and so where does that sense come from you know is is there an intelligence behind it i'd like to believe there is an intelligence behind it but i wouldn't say that i believe in it like it's a religion it's interesting I, wow that is really brave those seem like really brave people to me I, they I mean, are yeah because what they're doing is they're is they're actually living with a very suspended question they're probably yeah i mean they're that takes faith that's me that's the irony <laughs> they're mm-hmm. very faith faith mm-hmm. that's a very faithful existence and yeah. good for them you don't believe in god or a higher power but you still consult your astrologer all right then well thank you everyone for listening and thank you for your support we do uh, also want to say thank you to those who pledged materially to support us as we began a kind of membership drive on our last episode you can find out more information about that if you go to our show page, which is ensouled, E-N-S-O-U-L-E-D, dot substack, dot com. You can find us on your favorite podcasting app. And if you'd like more information about these forecasts that uh, the show is based on and that Elizabeth writes, go to graceastrology.com. And if you want to find out more about our astrology services, all you have to do is visit the show page, ensouled.substack.com. Thank you so much, Whitney. This was awesome. As always, I love hearing your thoughts on astrology and everything. And we've been recording these about every other week. And so our next one, looking at the astro calendar, will be happening the week of April 11th, when we will have the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction in Pisces, an event that hasn't happened in 165 years. So we'll have a lot to share about how that is likely to be experienced in daily lives and news headlines. It's going to be a big one. And I've got yeah. some um, interesting news stories that I think uh, will tie into that. Fantastic. Okay, Elizabeth and Pepper, look forward to talking to you again soon. And uh, those of you out there who like our work, please consider supporting it. And thanks yes. for listening. Alrighty. <laughs> Bye, Whitney. Bye, Elizabeth. You've been listening to Off the Charts, a stellar newscast. I'm Whitney Fishburne in Washington, and my co-host Elizabeth Grace is in New York. For more information about our show, visit ensold.substack.com. That's E-N-S-O-U-L-E-D dot substack.com or graceastrology.com. G-R-A-C-E astrology.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.